This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Please consider making a donation through the support page at deepcolorpodcast.com. Your continued support and belief in this project is incredibly important, and I thank you for your generosity. This episode profiles Adam Helms. Adam makes drawings and paintings that slip between presenting like screen prints, fuzzed out photographs, or enlarged photocopies. He uses a variety of techniques and appropriated imagery, often sourced from books, film, and the internet to depict masked faces, portraits of women, opposition groups, and scenes from comic books or movies. He also makes sculptural work in the form of oversized light boxes that stand upright and feature a carefully curated set of printed images. A subculture spirit and an interest in posturing through identity bridge his various bodies of work together. Adam's work has edge and impact and surrounds ideas connected to reproduction, recontextualization, and historical archetypes. We recorded this conversation at his studio in the Greenpoint section of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a new way to think about it. But um, I know on my on my subway ride over here, I was thinking about my introduction to your work. I was trying to like go back in time, and I think the first time I saw you work in person was maybe ten years ago, and it was a show that you had, and it was all square drawing charcoal drawings on paper mm-hmm. of kind of gorilla figures yeah, or people yeah. in masks yeah uh they were all portraits i think they were all men they were all men yeah. um and they looked like uh uh like like the the image file that the cia might have yeah um for these like wanted sure um, sure wanted uh like radicals or something like that yeah yeah um and then to jump to another time i saw your work was out east a couple years ago and those paintings i think we can we can call them paintings had comic book imagery mm-hmm. they, were, they were laser cut they things. were laser cut yeah and then like different inks and stuff like yeah. poured on top maybe yeah and, sort and, of and aniline like dye on the paper that's beforehand right. that's right mounted to panel yeah. and then laser cut images. yeah 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 um, and there were there were a couple portrait like of soldiers or something in that they, show they too, were right? images from films yeah. yeah it was martin sheen uh, the actor whose name I'm forgetting from Das Boot uh-huh. and uh, um, Klaus Kinski from okay. Aguirre, Wrath cool. of God. So I guess I guess what I wanted to try and start with is is sort of how things sort of shifted and evolved both in how they were made and some of the images we're using because I think it's great to hear artists talk about sure. how, how their work arcs over time. Um, can you kind of walk me through the charcoal drawings of the the, you know, gorilla figures mm-hmm. to the comic book laser cut paintings and sort of like what was going on and, and how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like the body of work you're describing that piece, uh, which is one piece. That's right. That's right. Is, is directly referenced to Richter's 48 portraits. That's right. So there were 48 of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, but cheek to cheek installed, right? Yeah. 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 yeah the way they were at the gallery. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. There was, um, Three different iterations the way Richter installed his mm-hmm. 48 portraits. The first was, uh, I believe, in 1972 or 74, Venice Biennale. Mm-hmm. 
at the German pavilion and they were just in a line and he had um, taken those images from encyclopedias okay. of sort of the famous men of the 20th century. Yeah. The famous men of civil society. Yeah, yeah. You know, post-enlightenment figures. Um, and all men. Yeah. Like these people we should know about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, it was sort of ironic, I think, because there were encyclopedia images and he made these oil paintings of them. But for some reason, when I was like an undergrad at RISD in, must have been 1996, I, I was, uh, my work study job was at the RISD library. Yes. So the great thing about that is I worked at the circulation desk is people would just return these books. And so I would constantly kind of get shoved. These things would fall into my hands. And I came across at that time an image of Richter's 48 portraits. And I didn't really know Richter at that time, obviously. And I've always been taken with that piece. Um, And so basically the first kind of iteration I had made as a reference to that was in 2005, there was a show I did, three-person show with Rodney McMillan and Jay Hikes at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis called Ordinary Culture. Mm -hmm. And the main piece in that of mine was these ink on mylar ink portraits I was basically doing, which were 48, which is exactly the same size as Richter's. 48 inches square? uh, I forget the exact proportions he used, but they were the same proportions as the ones you saw okay okay yeah and um these were these kind of non-portraits these ink on mylar portraits of heads and hoods mm-hmm. and the idea of course was the portrait a portrait is always meant to depict a, a very specific individual yeah, yeah. and your these, faces are like obscured by masks exactly. and veils and exactly like these, yeah. it, so to me it was like the kind of shadow of the colonial history of richter's piece the mm-hmm. sort of european colonial history mm-hmm um, the shadow of that was these masked figures, right. you know? And right. so, um, you know, and that was 2005. So the next iteration you're describing is 2010. Okay. And the name of that show was without name. And so to me, that piece was, um, you know, it was about the indescribable nature of that identity. Yeah. 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 Right. So the, the figures you're describing as you describe them again, what's the name are they rebels right. are they guerrillas are they insurgents are they terrorists are they freedom fighters are they whatever you know are they in a black metal band yeah exactly i mean there's sort of like some some slippage between how yeah. they can be interpreted sure sure yeah and they had that sort of i mean the the black and white the black charcoal on i think it was white paper or yeah. like an off-white yeah. paper yeah. i mean there's sort of like an aggressive well, there's aggress- there's an aggressiveness to the the imagery itself you know these guys and masks looking kind of mm-hmm. scary there's the black charcoal on the paper sort of like adds to the posturing of the of the well, exactly. uniform and and sort of the macho-ness that comes through well that. exactly and that yeah. word posturing i think is something that is exactly something i'm interested in this is the sort of symbolic representation the posturing of that so in that sense also those um the figures were you know, some of them were pixelized. Yeah, because yeah, some yeah. of them were from yeah, some video were stills. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I tried to keep a kind of representation of the media from which I was sourcing them. And so basically that piece to me kind of, I feel like, answered the question to a certain degree that I had been pursuing for, for years, really. Mm-hmm. And meaning that sort of male militarized identity, that particular posturing, 
I feel like it, it, it reached its sort of perfect end. Yeah. And, and the point is that obsession is like where to go from there. And so, you know, after that particular piece was completed, um, the question was, where do I go from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so over time, reaching into what you saw a few years later. Um, the laser cut stuff. The laser cut stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, that that came from then after completing the 48 portraits. I kind of, you know, I, I started to experiment with different type types of identity and archetypes. I started using images of women mm-hmm. to a certain degree because I, I, it had just been so male-oriented. Yeah. And so also I was making, I started making screen prints on felt. Yeah. Um, I feel like screen printing is important. Yeah. 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 I mean, also because, I mean, I studied printmaking, but I like the idea for my work of the drawings not as just the main element of my practice or a show, but very specific parts. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea of reproduction in making other objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing I think that feel... When I think about your work, I think about reproduction, sourced imagery, and then and then sort of how those are all translated. And I guess when I mention screen printing feels important, it's yeah. that like it's the 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 dot yeah. and the and the um, the bende pattern. Is that what it's called? Yeah, 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 yeah. Half tone, half tone. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, which but, which everyone I think in art is quite familiar with. Going back to Warhol, yeah. And I, I mean, as we speak, you know, the Warhol retrospective is at the Whitney, and you'd mentioned the famous men, um, the wanted posters, yeah. You know, and those were there, and uh, yeah. So it's like you know that dot pattern. Um, I think you know is is can to some degree, unfortunately, fall into a style hmm. these days, mm-hmm. um, especially with say like street art, which yeah, I, which yeah. I have to say I I really loathe street art. <laughs> But um, that's fair. Yeah. So so I mean, yeah. So that particular, um, you know, reproduction, that particular way of screen printing, though, um, is still attractive and it was attractive to me. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking of also of Lorna Simpson's um, work on felt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was sort of a quasi reference to that as well. Yeah. Um, And I also started making charcoal drawings also of these images of women on felt, which mm-hmm. I had mounted to panel. Mm-hmm. And um, I referred and still refer to them as zombies. Yeah. Meaning zombie identities, reconstituted identities. Right, right. Uh, this is a question I think is kind of fraught, but worth talking about. You know, I, st- I mentioned, like, I think, I, I want to call them paintings, right? Mm-hmm. But this sort of binary language we use to describe these things. Yeah. You know, there's, there's drawing, there's painting, there's right. something in between. Um, and you seem to sort of like like swim fluidly through a few different versions of those things. Yeah. Um, do you prime? Do you lean towards one descriptor or another when when it comes to describing these to someone? You Whether know, it's a painting or a drawing. Yeah, it, it's like yeah, people. It, it's difficult because mm-hmm. people are like you're an artist. Yeah. What kind of work do you make? Yeah. And um, for a while, you should just say I make works on paper. Yeah. Yeah, and then that is so ambiguous. People are just kind of like either oh, okay, yeah, either okay and walk away, yeah. or they're like okay, so of yeah. what? Yeah, and um, I think these days, exactly the way you're describing, it's like the work I'm making. I feel like is um, images that I translate and sort of become either archetypal or symbolic. Yeah, 
in that particular way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of images from history, some images um, that, you know, date back to like Matthew Brady and the Civil War to relatively contemporary images. But, um, you know, also, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, from the generation from the, I was born in the 70s. So sort of the post-internet moment hasn't hit me as directly because I'm not, obviously when I was sort of developing what I was interested in, the internet didn't exist. Right. So at the moment, sometimes I feel like because I'm utilizing the Bende pattern and <laughs> screen printing and, and some of these historical images, it feels like it's antiquated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing is the, the, the surfaces, right? You, mm-hmm. you work on linen, you work on paper, you work on felt, probably to reference the Lorna Simpson stuff you were just talking about? Well, or initially, just, the screen printing yeah, initially, yeah. and then like, you know, I had some felt lying around and I just, decided to draw on it yeah. and I was like eh, it kind of works you know it's just yeah. sort of an experiment yeah, so yeah, yeah so then that you know that became that yeah because I think work. those surfaces sort of nudge us to consider these objects as a painting as a drawing but you know you know I identify what you're saying about like sort of like I call it works on paper I use a lot of paper in my own stuff too but you know I've been mounting paper mm-hmm. to panels or to linen and stretching it um, right and then it's called something else so yeah you know the material sort of the, the, like, yeah. like begs for a definition in a way. Well, and, and also I think 2008, 2019, should I say, um, that this moment where we are in terms of contemporary art, the way I see it and understand it is, I guess this is partially due to like the Instagramization of, of looking at things, yeah. but everything, people really want things to be categorized yeah. Very quickly and yeah. easily. Yeah. This is a painting. This artist does this, th- you know, this, this, this. And it's so, almost like so th- these websites can like tag them properly yes. so that when you do a search, it pops up. Absolutely. This. Absolutely. And, and it's also forcing the hand. Yeah, yeah it's forcing yeah. the hand. And, and exactly. It's, it's about tagging. And it's also certain mechanisms of the commercial art world, um, certain websites. So they can also categorize things. In other words, it, things feel like they want to be as uncomplicated and as simple as possible. And that's unfortunate. And certainly what I'm doing and have done does not fit into that really at all. Right. Right. Which is great. I, 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 think it's a nice I, thing. I agree, but on a commercial level, yeah. like, you know, for the market, quote unquote, yeah. uh, it's, it's not that easy. Sometimes but. I think it's like a, like a, like a, uh, an excellent game to try and make something or title something that's unsearchable yeah. <laughs> on the internet. Yeah. Um, just sort of like a challenge or something like that. Well, yeah, yeah. And it, and it feels like, you know, uh, not, not trying to be like self-righteous or something, sure. but, or idealistic, but you know, all artworks, you'd really want to see them as artworks and see the object in front of you. It's very hard to do that. If you're someone living in Indiana and you're not able to go to New York Right. To see the Warhol retrospective, then you have to look at reproductions, obviously, and most people do. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think there is a certain um, a- energy and magic to seeing the artworks oh, absolutely. in front of you. Absolutely. First and foremost, I mean, that's always the goal yeah. to get in front of it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how maybe you, you build one of these or construct one of these or whatever you want to describe. Make it. The process. Sure. Um, you know, you're using very specific imagery and I imagine it starts with research and, and, and collecting that imagery and then and then figuring out how to reinterpret it in your own way can, can you just talk about maybe the start to the middle to the end sure I mean it so I've developed 
a kind of practice in which when I'm on the computer, um, if I see an image of something on the web, I'll save it. I, I d d what makes you want to save something? Sometimes. I mean, what's just, the criteria? I guess that's my question. Some, like what over what? Yeah, there's an emotional resonance to certain images that I like. Yeah. Um, and again, they're too numerous to describe individually, but right. something will just, boom, that, that, that's interesting to me, right? Um, and, or there's a certain drama to the image, let's yeah. say, or it just fits in with like the posturing of the male figures we were talking about, right? Right. right. So I'll grab that. Now, a lot of these aren't even really used for anything. I just kind of, you know, like if you were reading a newspaper or magazine and you cut out an image. So yeah. obviously it's easier to do that on the web. And then also, um, I watch a lot of films and movies, um, kind of as part of this. So as I'm watching a particular film, if there's a scene that just hits me, um, I will save that in, I'll do a screenshot. Sure. Sure. And so then that becomes part of this. Oh, cool. Quasi archive, right? Moving so, images turn to stills. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, if you think about that, think about um, the Peter Doig paintings of the canoe. Oh, yeah. Those are from Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And once I, re I read it and he was talking about that, I, I, well, I, it makes perfect sense. But it's funny how that translates. And I also know that, that, that you know, he loves movies. But, but the point is like, when I think of that particular painting of say that I see like how that was translated from a, a film image into a painting, I sometimes see a lot of stills that I like in movies the same way as paintings. It doesn't mean they're going to become a painting. It doesn't mean they're going to be used for anything, but I'll just save them. So again, that's sort of become this kind of intuitive practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you know, as you can see, there's like books and I have like lots of books around. So some of them, um, and I used to go to a lot of secondhand bookshops and, you know, grab books or grab things that sort of occur to me uh -huh. or I find interesting. Right. And um, so it's just become this intuitive way to sort of keep all these things. Mm -hmm. And then depending, you know, on, again, what the object will end up being, like the light boxes I yeah, make. Yeah, um, Which... Those use the images as they are. Yeah, exactly. change them a little bit? No. I mean, okay. some of them are color corrected. Yeah, but, yeah. But no, I try to leave the images even sort of the JPEG digital quality the way they are. And those um, hearken to a sort of um, Abby Warburg way of um, like the pathos formula in, in the terms, in, in, in the way of orienting those images. Now, yeah. these are, a mo this is a little model. That's a little model. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. just, just for listeners, I'm holding a little model. It's like maybe the, the, the size of a pack of cigarettes that's got, um, printed images arranged in a kind of salon style, different, different sizes. And this, this is may, might turn into a light box or well, the, these were, okay. uh, I, I, for shows I've done, I, I build models yeah, yeah, at yeah. a foam course. So, those were the exact proportions of the light boxes. Mm -hmm. So when I build the models, I can see how they're going to fit in the space. Yeah, totally. What's really nice about those light boxes and, and, and you know, sort of revisiting some of them online is, is, is the design and how you're arranging the images within the plane of, yeah. of the light box, you know, is that determined by the size of the file or are you it's, sort of playing around with no, the composition? No, I, 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 I'll, I'll play around them. I'll, I'll, yeah. um, alter the sizes of the images within yeah. the composition. But again, these light boxes, they started with what came from my studio years and years back. 
um, in which I would just paste images or pin them to the wall. So the the images almost became like a quasi installation yeah, yeah. in my studio. Yeah. And so um, the first iteration of these sort of, I, they were like assemblages. They were at, at that Walker show I was yeah. talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in which two other pieces were just that source material mm -hmm. that were pinned to the wall um, as objects, as, as artworks. And I think what really draws me to them, I was describing you know, initially Abby Warburg, who was an art historian from the 20s, and he sort of created a new way to look at art history, which was looking at images from um, the Renaissance and, um, and classicism and sort of how a lot, there was a lot of um, gesturing pathos and trauma within these images. So it was very controversial at the time, but what he did is he just pinned these images to these boards. Yeah. Like a bulletin board. Exactly. Yeah. And he called them pathos formulas. Oh, cool. Um, so for me, what interests me about the light boxes, which I would have to say are actually emotionally the work that I like to make the most, oh. because for me, it's about the idea of the viewer creating a narrative. It's almost um, impossible for someone to not look at them and not try to make a narrative or a story yeah, yeah, out of yeah, the connection. Yeah. yeah, it's like reading a comic book or something. Exactly. Frame to frame. Exactly. I took us a little bit off track. We were talking about, like, I, I nudge you to think about, you know, once you have an image, how you decide oh, yeah. to interpret it into an <laughs> object. So I guess let's go back there. So let's say you find an image of, of X. Um, you know, you have the option mm -hmm. to keep it as a work on paper, into mm -hmm. a painting. I mean, what sort of, how does how does that sort well, of path it, open up? So the, depending on the image, it, it could be that I have several other images that are exactly like that, yeah. say. Again, that archetypal way of looking at them. So maybe, I, you know, those particular images will become a group of drawings. Right. Or that particular image, um, depending on what it is, will become, you know, a painting, like a single thing, as it were. But often it's determined about how many images relate to that. So in other words, I kind of try to do everything in groups. Uh -huh. You work on more than one thing at a time. Well, yeah, yeah. And I also think about how the finished object, the painting, the drawing, whatever it may be, will relate to the other things that will be either in the exhibition right. or at the time in the studio, what else relates to that. Yeah. So, so, so it sounds like you tend to think in groups and make in yeah. groups. So... Um, so you have like a cohesive, all these pieces that make up a cohesive whole. Yeah. Which is, a, I mean, you know, when I have an, uh, the opportunity to show stuff in one room, it's all me. That's exactly how I think too. Um, versus other people are just like, yeah, this, these are the works I've made in the past yeah. two years. I'm yeah. like, like curate without. I, I like to get a bit more specific. Sounds like you do too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, usually when I'm working on whatever I'm working on at the time, it, I, I think about how it, it will become a body of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in other words, that's there's great. never it's that's never great. just a time to work on one thing and like, cool, that's done. That's yeah. that's that one thing. Yeah, I identify with that for sure. Um, what about, you know, this is something athletes sometimes talk about or maybe even like mathematicians, like when they get in the flow zone where things are like really singing and you kind of like aren't even aware of time and you're just, you know, you can't miss, yep. you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you're just driving. Yep. And you know, one of the things that I'm always chasing when I'm in my studio is trying to get into that space yeah. with, with failure just about every day. Um, I'm wondering if you ever get there, um, and maybe some of the things that, that may have helped you get to that space or is maybe it's just like a, a total battle. I don't know. Well, it, it depends. 
Okay, so I was actually talking to a friend yesterday. He's an artist. And we were having a long discussion. Um, my friend Ernesto Cavino. Oh, yeah. Cavano. And uh, we were just referencing that idealistic place where you could just spend all day. Yeah. Or, or endless hours just completely getting lost in whatever you're making. It's very and romantic. It's completely romantic. Yeah. And, and I was, we were both saying that, like, obviously as you get older, responsibilities, it's virtually impossible to do that. So yeah. the way I do it is I try to treat every studio day like a nine-to-five job. Yeah. Okay, so I generally get to the studio 9.30, 10, sometimes maybe 10.30, and then I generally stay till 5, 6, or 7. And then after that, I'm either burnt out enough um, or I'm so like, you know, after eight solid hours of working on something, you re- I feel like that's the moment when it starts to make sense. But I like then saying, okay, now I can pick it up tomorrow. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even leave notes around yeah. a piece, things I don't want to forget. But um, I think generally that's the way that it works for me these days. Um, it would be lovely to have a life where you could just <laughs> spend as much time working yeah, as you wanted yeah. and, and, and everything else was taken yeah. care of. And like, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. So I, I, I think it's about really finding time to focus. For instance, if I'm off track or I get in, you know, something happens, I got to do something in the morning and I don't have enough time, then certain things I won't be able to work on that day, but I'll find other things to do Yeah, yeah. as it were. Yeah. So, but I, again, I think it's that steady idea of the nine to five. Yeah, yeah. Like when I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio. And then when I leave the studio, I can do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that like sort of baseline structure to a working day is useful. I mean, yeah. I, t- I tend to do the very same thing, like treat it like a work day. I'm, I'm yeah. in it 9.30 a.m. I'm, yep. you know, I got to pick my kids up by three, so I got to right. leave by then. But that's my working block. And hopefully with any luck, good things happen in that little Yeah, block. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know other artists who are parents and they do the same thing they get to the studio early and then like my friend una ratcliffe is down the hall and like she's got three girls so she'll be here in the mornings working and then uh, by two o'clock she's like gotta do this yeah you know i keep taking us off track so (laughs) we're we're, you know it's but but that's great that's part of this right like sort of meandering through sure uh you know do you project i mean how do you translate a, a a sourced image onto the surface is there a projection are you it depends it? on the size yeah like usually um uh if it's small enough i might use a light box yeah as it were to trace mm-hmm. certain things from that particular image um and or if it's larger um you can see some of the things in here i will project the projector is hard for me because it's hard to get it to where it doesn't move mm-hmm. so usually the images i'm projecting um aren't as complex as say some of the things that I've traced on a light box. Yeah. So, um, but in both those cases, once the projection or the tracing sort of the structure happens, I then will just work from the image because I feel if there's gotta be some space, um, I don't want it to just be a photographic reproduction. So there's yeah. gotta be some painting space as yeah, it were yeah, yeah, yeah. in my eye going yeah. from the image which is printed out into what I'm working on. And then at a certain point, it just becomes about what I'm working yeah. on. Yeah, your touch is definitely in these. I mean, the, the ones that have like the haptone pattern on them yeah. aren't, I mean, they, they reference the printed image or the reproduced image, but you're just sort of filling these spaces in by hand. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the yeah. larger works. In the, in the larger works. Yeah. And uh, just, just for people who are listening, we're looking at paintings on linen, which are quite large mm-hmm. for me. And um, yeah, I, I, I think 
that there has to be, they're just not interesting unless there's something about them being paintings yeah. and, and painted objects in that way rather than just these flat translations of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know subcultures are something important to you um, based on some stuff I've read mm -hmm. that describes your background and stuff. I guess my question is what subcultures you're into and how you got into them. I mean, we're, we're both people that were born in the seventies that yeah. didn't have the internet. So you had to look a little harder than you do now for yeah. these things that not everyone knows about. So I guess I'm wondering how you, how you got into these things and which ones you, you gravitated towards. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's like, that's a great question. It's also really complex <laughs> in answering that. Yeah, but right. I mean, I would, I would, I would also ask a question at this point with the internet. Are there even subcultures I know, anymore? That's, that's and, a, and, that's, and that's a I was valid, actually, valid thing. yeah. And, and that's, something that is both interesting and sort of depressing. And, and, and actually, I do think um, that there are subcultures, and, and I mean subcultures outside of the like really weird, twisted stuff that's on the dark web. Yeah. But, but actually, like... Um, there's have you still, ever stuck a toe in there, by the way? Um, I, I have, except that what I've discovered is you can't really... You can search for some things, like using the Tor browser and like this idea of the dark web. But... I, you kind of have it's like onion tags which aren't normal um hypertext protocol tags uh, or, or urls mm -hmm. so you have to know what you're looking for right and i'm very glad that i had no knowledge of what <laughs> i was like no i mean basically yeah. meaning like some of these chat groups for terrorists pedophiles yeah, murderers yeah, yeah. hitmen i mean all the things that we've heard about y you know you have to like know who to know to get access to those and yeah. and that's not searchable and so right. anyway so yeah, no, the dark web was kind of bunk because I thought the same thing. Like, wow, like what can I find here? Yeah, but 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 in terms of subcultures and like, I mean, I guess growing up like, you know, us in the seventies. I mean, in the eighties, it was like punk rock. Yeah, and you know, I grew up in Tucson, and my initial exposure to punk rock came from seeing flyers taped to uh, telephone poles. Yeah, and often images of like Reagan. Yeah. You know, and the politics um, of the day, the politics of the day. And and I would see every now and again, there were punk rockers in Tucson. I would see them and they were like these these people, these from like a different dimension to yeah. me, you know, and it really something just just spoke to me. So um, and then also starting to go to record shops. It was like and again, you ask, like how I come across images. Well, think of like what it used to be like to go to the record store and thumb through records. And, and make covers. a discovery exactly yeah. a cover like okay so what is this album and this cover is this metal is it is it punk rock is it it's like the dead kennedys and you yeah. know and like yeah like motorhead and like initially seeing all that stuff um it was like this other world to me and mm -hmm. it was also another world that was just different than the, the semi straight and narrow life that yeah. i had which it, wasn't bad in any way right. or super conservative but it just seemed really interesting. Yeah, it had so. a different heartbeat and spirit. Yeah. And I think it still does. Yeah. Um, for sure. And then, like, and then, flat, you know, uh, fast forward to, like, the 90s. When I was graduating from RISD, I took a Photoshop class. Because at that time, I felt like I was on the cutting edge of people who were like, well, I'm going to have to get a job and I should learn computer skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to remember that, like, this is the late 90s. So, so uh, learning Photoshop and even having a computer were kind of like... Boom! Brand new, interesting yeah. things. Not everyone had a computer at that point. I, exactly, yeah. and and in that class, we were searching the web, and it, this is a time you talk about the wild west, the web, where 
you could find anything and it would take forever to download because it was on like a dial up. Yeah. So these yeah. images would slowly load. Exactly. They would load really slowly. Yeah. And I discovered these images of like uh, Zapatistas and Chechen rebels. And what at that time, and then I could save the images. So at that time it was to me, it seemed like again, this whole other universe. Um, and again, I had no political, uh, allegiance, uh, uh, um, um, politically I'm not aligned with like the Chechens yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was that age some of what the Zapatistas were saying were interesting but really it was just coming across these images and I'm like who are these people like wow these guys are like really wild looking dudes and yeah. so it was um, again that curiosity of suddenly discovering these things and then again as time went on I think I started um, you know I'm a fan of metal obviously and uh, the, the black metal subculture it sort of has become kind of, it's become less subcult. It's kind of trending. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and I have a lot of friends who are in black metal bands and, and run record labels and, uh, I got to know them and, and, and there really is an active underground in the subculture. And what interested me, as you mentioned before, was, was black metal. A lot of these dudes from the late nineties, early two thousands, especially in Europe, not as much in, um, the United States were taking these pictures of themselves with like corpse paint in the yeah. woods. And it was again, this idea of posturing. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't like, dude, I love black metal. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was more just like, you know, it, it, it was again, just that male, the idea of the posturing, yeah. the male posturing. Just real quick. Can you, can you throw out some black metal bands that you're into? Yeah. Probably my favorite band right now is a band that I would assume that very few people would know of. It's called Sirhus, and they're from um, Washington state. Okay. And they're part of a scene. Um, there's another band called Ferdadurki or Ferdadurk. And they were also the progenitors of this particular yeah. band. And then there's another band called Bonal uh, that I'm really good friends with, the drummer. And, and they're from um, Novato, California. They were in Brooklyn. For, he was in Brooklyn. Yeah, Marco I feel like I may Brooklyn. have heard of them before. Yeah. And, and they're sort of um, all these bands kind of harken to a, a really lo fi punk really um underground ver like, like a version of black metal is it fast or kind of droney or somewhere in between it can be somewhere in between yeah. i mean what i like about sirhus is those guys also sound like they listen to a lot of husker do it's like yeah, really yeah. hard to describe yeah. but then other than that um you know and, and there's a lot of underground bands that i've been introduced to like within that genre that are recorded only to cassette yeah and stuff like that but then otherwise it's like you know the famous ones like dark throne um, Dark Throne are probably my favorite. And I love Mayhem, like early Mayhem. Great, great. I, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that subcultures are kind of have a have a, a, an important spot in your brain because the aesthetic of subculture, I think, is definitely in your work. Even even talking about, you know, metal black metal bands, I'm thinking about the aesthetics of black metal bands and some of like the symmet symmetrical, kind of like rooted tree root kind of creepy bone structure things, yeah. black on white stuff, yeah. harsh contrast. Uh, it goes back to a Xerox. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, I mean, and, yeah. and like a blurry image and being on a budget and, yeah. and trying to be uh, visually as efficient as possible. And there's, there's definitely... And recording to cassette also, is, yeah. it's d deliberately anti-technology. Yeah, yeah. That stuff is definitely in this work, I feel like, for me as a viewer. Yeah. Is that 
I, n- I don't know. Is, well, that a, is that a bummer to hear? Are you or or, or? No, no, uh, not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, call it out. Call it out. If, if not, you need to. no. I mean, to a certain degree, no, because that's what I'm interested in. I yeah. guess, and that is a representation of that. But if I, I have had like, uh, there were a few drawings I've made, a few in the past of uh, black metal musicians and some of these images from cassette covers, and a lot of people instantly glopped onto that and were like, you're, you're, you're like a black metal artist. Oh, and, right, right, and, right. And instantly... Yeah, you don't like, want to be kind of pigeonholed. No, no, yeah. no, no. But I, th- I but I also think that, like, in terms of our discussion, like, sure, you can see that because we're in the studio yeah. as well. But I, I, I do think that there's a lot of other, you know, there's 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 other space for interpretation. Oh, absolutely. Obviously. Absolutely. I guess I was just sort of trying to draw a bridge between the aesthetics of some of this stuff. Um, no, I mean, I mean, not it, the content, obviously. Yeah, yeah but, right? but no, but again, it, I think it goes back to that Xerox technology. Yeah. And and I was talking to my, my friend Marco Del Rio from Bonal, and he does all their covers, and so you know, and and there really is like a deliberate aesthetic that deals with this idea of Xerox, and mm-hmm. in his own work as well. And um, and we were talking about that, and I think that it does go back to just this idea of of Xerox probably because of the generation that we're from. He's a little bit younger, but again, it also, yeah, it goes back to it's anti-technology. It's, um, it's anti-pop. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, I showed, I showed some of your work to my wife last night. I was like picking other people's brains ahead of coming over to talk to someone. And I was just sort of, what do you, what do you, what do you, what would you like to hear Adam talk about? First thing she said was, who are these women? Who are they? (laughs) And why the term zombie connected to them or the term mm-hmm. Medusa connected to them? I know, do you have a, a response to that query? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the women, um, generally, um, a lot of the images that you're looking at of the work that I make from these images of women are from um, catalogs, car catalogs. So they're just models? From the 70s and yeah. 80s, exactly, called uh, Auto Universe, uh, what is it, Auto... Uh, I don't have the book around it. It's auto universism. It's but um, it makes sense though. There's a time signature with like their their style or well, their, well, exactly. the, like, cut of and, their hair even. And basically the books are um a catalog of cars from that year or from those couple years. And in a lot of those pictures, they're very small pictures because it's a printed catalog. Yeah. And you see these images of women. So what I did is I scanned them and they become zombie identities appropriated, right. um, reconstituted identities. Some of right. them look zombie-like, and I've also used images, uh, obviously, that aren't women in terms of the, 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 the word zombie. Yeah. Some of them do look like zombies, and I do love zombie movies, and yeah, yeah. we can they're, talk about that for hours. Yeah. But, but, but again, they're more just like the become these zombie identities. Sure. And Medusa, specifically, in the piece you're talking about, that one image just looked like, to me, um, there was a mark that looked like a hand, so it looked like, and her hair... So it looked like it was the head of Medusa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's worth going into the whole thing about uh, authorship and you're, you know, using existing imagery. And this mm-hmm. is something that's talked about quite a bit in the classroom, I know. Um, but do you have a philosophy on like how to responsibly use someone else's image, or um, is it, once it's out there, is it fair game? I mean, where do you fall in that line? I, I, so in terms of, we'll just use the term appropriation obviously yeah. i mean that strategy in art making i mean before warhol warhol i mean yeah. david sally i mean that's it's almost like irrelevant to assume that it's you can do that or not right 
it's um, and also we'll, we'll, another example, uh, an artist I really like, Kelly Walker, or anyone who's reproducing images. I think you know, conceptually, the artist's intention does determine how a particular image uh, is used and translated. And again, we were talking earlier about Carl Handel. Yeah, we're gonna go to that opening tonight, and you know, he's a good friend, and we've talked a lot. Um, about this. Another artist that uses sourced imagery. Source image yeah. as drawings. Yeah. So basically... Massive graphite drawings. I exactly. Yeah. And he said once that, that he went to UCLA, he had a studio visit with Chris Burden, and Chris Burden walked in and said, why am I looking at photographs? <laughs> Carl said they're, they're drawings. So the point is, with his work, you know, the object, at the end of the day, is a drawing. Yeah. Right? So the image, depending on... You know, and, and, and again, in his body of work, it's about how these images work together and, and sort of work together like um, symbiotics. But yeah. in my work, and I'd, I would just say generally with any artist, it's the intention behind how that image is going or just how it's going to become an art object. Uh -huh. You know, and again, like reproduction using images. I mean, look at like Rachel Harrison. Like it goes, it really kind of, um, it can go all over the place, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I, I just think generally also as a culture, we're just so imbued with images that all, I'm sure a lot of young artists are using images in their work beyond this idea of this autonomous yeah. art object. Yeah, like, the, the, like the, the notion that this has to be a pure image is kind of bullshit. I think it's complete bullshit. Yeah. And, and I also think that... It's been that way for a long time. Yeah, I, I would, I, so I would so I, I funny stories. I was, um, I was in a show and as a visiting artist at the Pacific Northwest College of Art in two thousand eight, and uh, there was a small exhibition. And in my contribution to the exhibition was a couple of ink on mylar pieces, and then also one of the assemblage pieces. And in this iteration, it was just pinned to the wall, and. There were, I was giving, so there was a panel discussion, and a, there was a couple people in the audience who were like, you're stealing images. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You shouldn't steal. And I was basically like, do you even understand what appropriation is? Yeah. Like, I, I get that maybe to a certain degree, it's like you're just downloading images from the internet, printing them out, and, and pasting it. But it's, yeah. it's about the idea of that, you know, the, there's, there's an object this number one to all of those pieces together. And I mean, that's the piece, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, but that was funny because yeah. it was like this person was one of these people was really angry. Yeah, like, I, like some people are came up to me afterwards yeah. and said, "You shouldn't steal." Yeah, man. I mean, I think there's like a, a level of, of of experience uh, in terms of being a viewer and yeah. and and like what you've been around and and the sorts of conversations you've had around art sort of can determine how conservative you are going to be around that topic for sure. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and I mean, if you've had exposure to art school, yeah. To any degree, um, uh, one would understand. Like, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's talk about your studio. We're sitting, we're sitting here in your studio, and I feel like it's got a strategic setup. It's almost cut in half by this this table. On one half, it feels kind of like paint mixing, almost office setup, books, uh, desks, drawing desks. You've got you've got like a director's chair uh, that folds up. Um, and then on the other side of the studio is more like the wet media area almost yeah. where it's paint. You've got large canvases leaning against the wall. Um, 
you've got a ladder here to, to get up to the high spots because these are taller than you and I. This is where I want to pivot into studio visits. Sure. And, and I know, like, depending on who's coming over, whether it's an, another artist's friend is one way to treat a studio visit versus a collector versus, sure. versus a gallerist that's interested in showing your work. Um, maybe I'll leave it up to you who you want to pick to use in a, as an example, but I'm, I'm always curious to hear how artists manage and facilitate and steer studio visits when they have them. Yeah. So I've had everything you just described. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of friends come by. Um, and I have like an, another small space for storage. Okay. So a lot of what we're, you know, it, 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 what we're looking at is not, this is all in process stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This is like the painting, you know, this is the, the making studio. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, in terms of the studio visits, basically, um, there's not much, maybe like if things are, I'm in process and things are really dirty or disorganized i'll organize things a little bit uh -huh. but generally speaking i just kind of keep things the way they are yeah you don't stage i don't stage yeah. really anything because um i don't know i just don't i mean if a collector is coming by um you know i might put up a couple pieces again and, and you know because i want them to see those particular pieces as opposed to others but but no i kind of like to keep things the way they are because i think this is all part of the ethos of the work in that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't asked this question in a, in a while, but if you could have anyone by here, alive or dead, has anyone come to mind who you, who'd love to show your work to and yeah. talk to the work about? It's uh, a tough one and kind no, of annoying. No, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, Werner Herzog, Yeah, he would probably be incredibly unimpressed. <laughs> but, I mean, just as yeah, I'd love to talk yeah. to Bernard Herzog yeah. but also like just having his voice in here would be amazing yeah I know. <laughs> literally recording that yeah yeah <laughs> to hear what he would have to say yeah um but uh Mike Kelly yeah you know I really would have I mean he's a hero of mine and um but again there's also like the intimidation factor like someone like that like what yeah what would he say but um yeah I mean I could probably think about that question for yeah. a long time, yeah, too. Fine. Now, also, another person, strange enough, I, I would like to have by uh, two people, uh, Chris Hedges or uh, Naomi Klein, ah. would be, again, they have nothing to do with art, yeah. but I would just be really curious, especially to talk to Chris Hedges, like, what would he think? Yeah. For and sure. I love both of them. I mean, they're, they're sort of political heroes of mine, theorists. Cool. cool. Or Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher's another one. Huh. That's a good list. Yeah. Okay. I'll stop that. That's a dinner party. That's that would be an incredible <laughs> party. What about distractions? I mean, you know, the the like the cliche distraction is the phone and checking things mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But do other just do? I mean, what sort of takes you off track? And you were talking about the flow zone earlier and like getting in a groove, yeah. a working groove. Are there things that often throw you out of that? And yeah. The phone. The phone. Um, Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. <laughs> and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you know, often if. I don't need it. Like if I'm projecting, I need my computer because I'm projecting from a file. Right. But I deliberately try often not to either bring the laptop in here because um, I have a desktop at home that's not working. So I used to be able, to, the, the laptop would just stay here, but I'm more productive without it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You know, we're sort of talking about, you know, professional practice stuff with studio visits and things like that. Maybe this is a good zone to talk about... Um, you know, how you got your foot in the gallery door, so to speak. And like, if there was like a pivotal moment that uh, like pitched you forward. If you okay, can so yeah, two. yeah. I mean, 
it was a certain matter, uh, to a certain degree, it was being in the right place at the right time. And what I mean by that is I was at Yale uh, doing my graduate work in the MFA program. I graduated in 2004. So, again, that era, pre-recession, yeah, just after the Iraq War began the invasion, um, the market was roaring. Yeah. And so at that time, there were a lot of people coming through the studios. And one person that came through was Clarissa Dalrymple. Um, who is a figure in the New York art world, and she saw my work. And at that time, again, I was referencing directly certain ideas from historical images sort of writ with um, contemporary issues dealing with colonialism, dealing with militarism. Mm -hmm. Without trying to put sort of a political point across, it was just something I was generally interested in. So there was some attention garnered from that, and then... You know, a few people talked to a few people, as it were, and then I got a call or an email, should I say, from um, the person that I first started working with, who is Catherine Brennan. It's Brennan and Griffin at this point, yeah. but was at that time Sister Gallery in L.A. And she saw some of the drawings and basically emailed me and was like, I, you know, really interested in your work. I have a small guy in L.A. I'm curious if you'd want to do a solo show. So we ended up talking and I, um, I liked her and I said, yeah, that would be, you know, that sounds great. And then at that time, also, um, I had a studio visit just after I graduated from Yale from uh, Amy Smith Stewart and Bob Nickus, who were curating Greater New York 2005. Uh -huh. So then, and, and there were also um, group shows. Yeah. Right? So, so then there were some group shows. And uh, it's funny, the first group show I was ever in in New York, uh, I was in with Matthew Day Jackson, who's one of my best friends yeah. now. And, uh, so then Greater New York happened, and Greater New York was obviously garnered a, a whole lot of attention. And then yeah. after and for the listeners that don't know what Greater New York is, it's a, it's a show that takes place every couple few years. Five at, years. Every five years at, at PS1, moment PS1 up and in The first Wyoming one was City. 2000? Yeah. 2005, yeah. 2010. And it's all kind of younger. Y yeah. Not, not, or not younger, I should say, just people that haven't shown. Yeah. They're not that well-known quite yet. Exactly. Yeah. Generally, younger artists. Yeah. Um, who knows if PS1 will continue with that because there's been some shakeup administration and conceptually wise there, but this version was, was 2005. Yeah. Um, I remember these. Yeah. They're and, huge. And, you know, yeah. And, and I mean, the people who were in that show was like Walid Rod, Carol Bove, Matthew Day Jackson, Mika Rottenberg, Nate Lohman, Adam McEwen. I was in a room with Homo Baba. Yeah. Um, uh, Kelly Walker, Seth Price, uh, Banks Violet, mm -hmm. you know, um, it was a great show, actually. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, it was it was a lot. But anyway, so then around that same time, a uh, curator from The Walker, Dorian Chong, saw my work, did a studio visit with him, and he curated that three-person show that was at The Walker. And at that time, I was being pursued by some galleries. Mm -hmm. And uh, Clarissa Dalrymple was working with Marianne Bosky. Yeah. And also, my friend Jay Hikes was then represented by Marianne Bosky. So she came to the opening at The Walker. Marianne did. And I mean, what a great that you, you talk about a studio visit or a way to be exposed to the work. It was like, you know, yeah. right there, this giant yeah. piece. So, um, so we started working together after that. That's great. That's a great sort of description of, of like a trajectory that sort of links right into that time. And it sounds like the, the springboard was the, the graduate studio at Yale. No, uh, definitely. Yeah. You know, and the thing is though, I, I want to give a shout out to, to grad school and like in, and even Yale because Yale's yeah. got this perception that like if you're go to Yale you just get like a career and hooked up right away. Yeah, uh, which was true at one point <laughs> maybe. 
not, not unlike what happened to me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and then, you know, and then also I was remember also like we would come out of Columbia Studios, and who was there was Emily May Smith and mm-hmm. Justin Lowe and Dana and um, Dana Schutz, Dana Schutz, mm-hmm. and uh, Kamru's Aram and uh, Ali Elizabeth Taylor, Garth Weiser, a uh, lot of people. Anyway, um, I just want to say for for like at Yale, there was a lot of that like exposure to the work, but also like I learned so much, and my work changed to a certain degree, mostly through the osmosis of just being around other artists all the time. Right. But but I really enjoyed it, and I would never want to go through it again. Right. It was sort of like boot camp. But, right. Because um, there's so much pressure in two yeah. years. For sure. In general. But but I learned so much. My advisor was Mel Bachner, and you would not think that Mel Bachner would be interested in what I was doing, but we had great discussions. I think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's not about the work as much as it is just the discussion surrounding it and the, you, which you just kind of absorb. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Do you think that, um, you know, some of these some marquee graduate programs still have that sort of power to deliver, you know, kind of a, a career or, or, or a practice that one can earn their living through or, well, or have things changed? Well, that's a tough one, I know. It, no, no. I mean, I mean, I, again, I graduated two thousand four, so yeah. yeah, things did change. Yeah. <laughs> there was a the Great Recession. Yeah. And like, um, I think that yeah, the economics of the time period play a huge role. Th- I, completely. Yeah, and, and and also like in terms of graduate, I mean, I still think Yale is. I, I was a, a visiting critic a few years ago there, and it's the first time I've been back, and. Um, Yale is still really serious and critical, and um, I think the same could be said of Columbia. In California, I'm not as sure. My old assistant is at UC Irvine, and she loves that, and I know that uh, USC people were like, but I think the, and also just if you have a graduate program, it's in the uh, island of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have studio visits from any gallery because they just get on the train. Yeah. Yeah, it's proximity. Or... Yale. And now in California, again, I don't know. I, I do think to a certain degree, perhaps, that yes, that era of graduate programs producing the next group of artists, also because several factors, is that at the moment, there's an interest, I mean, there's a real diversification of geographic locations of certain artists. Right. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, I still think that institutions educational institutions produce where artists are seen generally just because the people who are looking for new artists aren't don't have the time to run all over the world and just look for what's good they have to go to a certain place where that focus is so and also i'm not that connected to what's happening in grad schools right um but you know and and i do think that um it's all a factor of i don't know it, it if you're an artist who believes in what you're doing and is just obsessed with it, then you're going to do fine. Yeah, through, yeah, through I would agree. Good and the bad, meaning agree. like tough times, good times. But if you're just looking like to get attention and a quick career and it's fun and X, Y, and Z, and like you're not able to deal with the letdowns, then that might be or hard. make good work or make good work. <laughs> I mean, that's important. Too. No, it's strange. It's yeah. strange because you would think like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go to, you know, you think people think Yale's like the top of the top, you have to be the best. And then when you get there, there's some people, it's like, how did you get in here? Like, I mean, it's like going through a, a gallery crawl in Chelsea yeah, these days. Yeah. I mean, you'll see a lot of shit for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, in Chelsea, it's, um, 
it's a really good question because it's like it, it, it asks the question of like what number one happening to art practices uh, that's a incredibly complex question yeah. that would take years of research to answer but like in terms of the marketplace and you just described Chelsea which we were mentioning earlier to me is like a uh, 21st century late capitalist graveyard yeah, yeah yeah this is before we turn the mics on it's before we turn the mics yeah. on yeah what it seems to me is that the art world it, at least in the commercial sense meaning galleries art fairs contemporary art world Contemporary art world is still like gripping on to the kind of, to me, pre-2007 model of just expansion. Yeah. It's become like, it's become an, it's like, inst I don't want to use the word institutionalized because that actually is different than what we're talking about, but it's become an industry. It's mm -hmm. become so, um, there's so many art fairs. Uh, these art fairs cost these galleries. Yeah. So much money. Yeah, they're mega economies now. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that in that I exact economy, it's like at the art fair, you know, you think about the union guys who get paid to do all the work, build the walls, the lighting, et cetera. You think about the security guards. There's a whole economy and also the cities that these things are in. But the question is, what does this do to art? And I, I, it, it's really hard to say yeah. because I think now art is reaching this um, exposure to where, you know, basically the most popular artist in the world, it seems is right now is like cause, mm -hmm. you know? And, yeah. um, I don't, I'm just not going to say much anymore about that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of kitsch. There's a lot, it's very unintellectual. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. And uh, it's too much. Yeah. And the meaning, it's a crazy thing to say. It's like too much, but it's like these music festivals. Yeah. I, sometimes I just want to go see a band. Yeah, yeah, it's a saturation thing. It's 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 such a saturation that yeah. that I I was thinking to myself if I was a collector, like it just seems exhausting just to see all this stuff. Yeah, it is for sure. Let's shift over to art hygiene. Okay. Um, and this is something I like to ask artists about because I think it's important how we take care of ourselves emotionally because as we as we know making art can like take its toll on the psyche oh, yeah. and and our brains oh yeah um but i also i want to start talking about like how we take care of ourselves physically too because i just talked to a woman just sort of blew my mind about the health and safety hazards with art and how our materials and how we work affect us physically yeah. so i'm wondering you know on those two prongs the emotional and the physical how you how you take care of yourself so for a while when i was you know again i'm, I'm making more paintings these days yeah and when I used to make drawings really intensely, it was all I did. My right arm uh, would be in severe pain. Yeah. Repetitious. Also because I'm using a certain pressure, so I'm yeah. holding you know my tendons and muscles yeah. in a certain like way. Like full arm carpal tunnel yeah. almost, yeah. right? Yeah. So what I used to do is I used to go get acupuncture uh -huh. on my arm, which really helped a lot. Um, and now I don't do that as much anymore because I don't need to, but... Um, the other thing is I used to do uh, also hot yoga mm -hmm. for my lower back. And now, actually, I have a friend who adjusts my back every three weeks. Um, what does that mean, adjust your back? Like well, reflexology or something? No, like, it's, 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 it's like chiropractor. Chiro okay, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I like him because he really hates that term and he believes in what he's doing. And he's like, I'm not a back cracker. I'm a back adjuster. Yeah. And it, I have to say, it really helps. Um, and at this point, I do it so much that there's very little that I do when I go in there. But... 
I feel different afterwards. So yeah. this uh, stuff takes a toll on our backs. It, it takes a toll on, on our backs, absolutely. And I could a certainly. A couple of old guys talking about our backs right now. <laughs> My back is <laughs> killing me. I got to stretch. But uh, no, I mean, I think that also, like, um, yeah, as I was describing earlier, mentally for me, um, there's the eight hours in the studio. I try, you know, like, it's not just like, all right, I'm just going to go for 14 hours. Um, and then also, like, you know, I try uh, to, you know, I, I try to focus on a lot of other things. So, like, like I was describing films. Like, yeah. I love films. Um, That's an emotional break? It, it's an emotional break and, and the music mm-hmm. as well. And, and one of the reasons is that I, I have no ego in either of those worlds. Right. So you're just a consumer of it. Exactly. Yeah. And a fan. Yeah. And a fan. And, yeah. and I have a lot of friends who are in bands and I mean, I have a lot, I, you know, some friends in film. And so it's not like I'm completely divorced of the politics of these worlds. Sure. But sure. unlike the art world, um, I need some kind of place to go with creative energy where it's, yeah. it doesn't involve, as I described, sort of the politics and, 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 and also just what I was describing of like how I genuinely find Chelsea to be kind of depressing these mm-hmm. days. It's mm-hmm. um, and it it it, it, it may, maybe I'm sure it's because I've lived in New York for 20 years, and I've seen things change. And 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 you know we were joking about feeling like old men, but you know, and and if I was much younger and I just moved to New York, I might have a completely different idea of it. Uh-huh. And also at the time when I started to go to Chelsea, which was late 2000s, mid 2000s. I'm sure there was a lot of older artists who could say the same thing, like Chelsea is just, you know, yeah. I mean, you could find other people that feel the same way, but now it just feels so much about price tags and money yeah. um, that I find it kind of depressing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really, yeah, I just sometimes I really need to shut that out. Yeah. Yeah. Having some sort of disconnect or an, uh, other, obviously other interests are incredibly yeah, important. Yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, it's a matter of You got to look away. We have I, to look away. We have to look away. And like some, you know, again, like in 2005, 2006, you know, around that time, Greater New York, I was one of those people who was in Chelsea and like part of that whole scene and Every everything I was doing. All the dinners, all the parties. All, exactly. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And it was really fun. But number one, it's semi unsustainable and it just, you lose interest after yeah, a while. Yeah. Uh, let's shift over to, uh, you know, this idea of art conundrums and maybe my setup for this is, so I was out last night and, and at an opening and this guy and I was like, so what are you working on in your studio? And I was like, fuck if I know, man, I'm, I'm like totally clueless right now. I've been, you know, the holidays just happened. I've been out of the groove for three weeks now. And, uh, you know, um, I'm a person in the dark trying to find, find the corner, so, right. so to speak. Um, which is, you know, a way to describe a conundrum that I think a lot of us often face. We sort of like forget what we're doing and how we did it. Um, but when I when I bring up this notion of a conundrum, um, do you wrestle with any particular sort of demon on the shoulder that's like, you, you know, whether it's self self doubt or anxiety about something? I mean, I mean, these are I think reoccurring things that the artist brain uh, or the human brain, for that matter, yeah, deal with. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the way I would describe that is. I often can doubt myself because, or or feel sort of self doubt when I'm, when not working as much as I should. Mm-hmm. So if I'm taken from the work, or I just need a break, or, and then I do a lot of looking. I I can uh, you go to museums, um, or galleries, or other artists I really like. I can, my standards tend to be so high that I can look at certain things and just think, 
why am I bothering? <laughs> like I like uh, uh, I was talking to Carl Handel and yeah. uh, about the Bruce Nauman show PS One and and you know he said <laughs> I went there and I just thought why make art after yeah. looking at Bruce Nauman? I think he has that that show has effect has has that effect yeah, on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and, and to a certain and then you, you know the Homa off Klimt um, made me want to get in the studio and paint. Yeah. It's funny, but but yeah, I I, I can create a sense of doubt because my standards are so high I feel like that I because ultimately I just want to be the artist for someone like uh, that that um, they were to me when I was describing myself at RISD coming across this stuff like I'd love to think that you know what I'm doing would inspire a young artist to become an artist and to keep going yeah. and, and, and to feed their work in that way and so yeah my standards in my own mind can, I can literally talk myself out of yeah, just why do I do it? Yeah. And like, it sounds like working on the stuff, getting back in and like the labor of it yeah. is something that pulls you back in it, it, or like or like corrects for any sort well, of self-doubt. Yeah, 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 it does. And 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 also, yeah, sometimes just working on things and getting them out of the studio. Like you yeah. got to say goodbye to it, but but then it's like, and that just leaves room for more things to be made. Yeah. So for me, it really is about the process and that search. I mm-hmm. think that search for, you know what, what I'm describing, the sort of, unknowable unnameable thing in the work that were that i'm following you know yeah which at times i feel like i fail completely in and other times i may just find success in what i'm doing or a piece is successful to me but um it also depends honestly on the day on the week on certain things like you know how much sleep you got the night before? Yeah, yeah, no, For there sure, are there right? are days when I walk in. If you have a consistent studio practice and you're here every day, then yeah, there are days when this is exhausting. What I'm doing is just a bunch of shit. Um, I don't know why I'm doing it. I feel pretty awful. And then other days when you know this is great, like I feel good and I'm moving along. And um, somebody asked me that once. Uh, I, I, I was giving a um, a talk and. They, someone asked me like, what do you think about when you work? Yeah. And I was like, man, what do you think about every day? It's yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, it's so, it, not one thing. It's just, yeah. you know, it's different every day. Yeah. Sometimes you're zoomed in on the task at hand, the, yeah. the, the, the execution to get that mark filled in right there. Other times it's like, shit, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Yeah, 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 exactly. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I have to do that thing later I don't want to do and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Or, but, but yeah. Do no, voices I, enter your head? Like when you think about audience, like. Oh, Carl will really respond. Like I want to, like, yeah, I want to wow Carl or someone else. Well, I mean, exactly. Does that, certain, does that play a role? Yeah, yeah, certain friends and critics that I'm close to, uh, whose opinions I trust. Yeah, yeah. But but generally, the idea of like the audience. I mean, no. I mean, that's right. You know, the masses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really pretentious. But no, yeah. I just you know, there's just a few people in my mind who know my work and who I trust, and um, those are the voices yeah. and the people that. It's important to have those few people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the little inner circle thing. Uh, what about satisfaction? You sort of talked about like chasing that thing that we're chasing. Um, are there moments when you're, you're satisfied or is it this continual search to, to improve upon the last thing? Um, you You know, know, it's, it's, is there an end? Well, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because, um, you know, at the time as, as we were just discussing, there's certain works where. I may feel like, yeah, I'm really excited about this body of work. I'm really on it. Um, and then I may see the work years later at some collector's house or somewhere. And I may think differently. Sure. But often, um, like, 
you know, there's a few things I've stored and you can see and that I brought out that are in this studio that I'm looking at. And, um, that's Mad Max, the Mad Max. Yeah. The, 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 the gouache great. drawings. Yeah. That's great. And I have to say, number one, when I look at it, I forget how I made it. <laughs> it's funny when you ask that, it's like, I, what was I thinking? Like that looks so good. And I have n- like, I completely forget yeah, right. how I did that. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting that, that weird artistic, um, disassociation amnesia Amnesia. yeah Yeah. exactly but yeah so it's interesting to bring out old works and think about how they can influence what i'm making right now this one for instance is the swamp swamp thing thing. yeah yeah and um it's a good piece i mean yeah you know i spent a lot yeah i spent a lot of time looking at it again certain things i'm like i I remember how i made that but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's surprising that you know you pull these things out and look at them and they can have a particular resonance Mm mm-hmm and some of that amnesia is kind of interesting because I think sometimes what I try to do as an artist is actually divorce myself from the work and imagine if I was the viewer, would I like this? Yeah. And if I, it's this weird kind of like almost psychic momentary disassociation. Yeah. Like, what would I think? And um, yeah, I like taking out all works and thinking like, yeah, I would totally be into this. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, man. I mean, looking at old work is such a trip. It is. And I'm getting better, I think, at like not being so sort of hard on myself. Yeah. Like, dude, what the fuck were you thinking? Oh, you know? There's some works that I just cringe. Now I'm just like, yeah, that was a moment. Yeah, and yeah. like, you know, that doesn't hold up for me. But like that thing in that corner that I learned from and that like led to this thing five years later. And um, I think that's important to re- recognize like sort of like the weaker pieces and like in the arc of your you know, practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, open the door for some exciting ideas. Well, like no, that. exactly. Yeah. And 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 certainly not everything is a home run. But sure. You know, that's another reason why I'm sort of enjoying Instagram is that I'm posting a lot of old work, which feels like it's a little archive. Yeah. And also because those images, you see them on the on the iPhone, are all democratically the same size yeah yeah like super scaled super scaled down but it's really interesting to to contextualize everything that way yeah i guess yeah uh you know this is a sort of a challenging question and and, you know i i teeter i teeter on whether or not to reveal my goals because i i tend to keep them to myself because if i let them out then i'm accountable right someone else is going to hold me to yeah that that dream that oh goal, yeah, yeah that sure, thing. sure but i want to put it to you Do, are there goals what like what are some dream projects what are some things that you want to try and accomplish in the next year two three five years does anything come to mind well yeah or I, are those I, private well they're a little private yeah but i mean certainly um i do think that i need a change either a change geographically or you know a kind of psychic inspiration that needs to be um yeah, you've been here 20 years used. yeah 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 you and i both yeah been here t- yeah so yeah. we've both been here 20 years so i mean my dream is to have um just us to maintain a steady studio practice and yeah. really what i mean is just being able to be in the studio and and follow through on the ideas that i have and feel like that there's movement in that direction conceptually and then everything else will sort of fall into place. But in terms of like dream shows or institutions and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, that's, I'm sure every artist has those things. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think the focus for me is 
to feel like, you know, in, as a middle-aged man, oh, I hate saying that, <laughs> but also as like a mid-career artist is to get out of that place of doubt and stagnation, which isn't always the case. I'm not saying that like I'm just in this place of doubt and stagnation, but it's a tough place to be mm-hmm. um, because you're not super young, so there's not a lot of attention. And also you're not older in that like, look at this person who's been doing this right. for this long. So I want to get to that place of I've been doing it for this long, but also feel like um, I've really been able to push through what I'm thinking about. Uh-huh. And, and what I mean by that is like some of my ideas and some of the things I like to make are just not very commercially viable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the world has become so dark in a palpable way Yeah. that a lot of people like as a human reaction are just like, dung, dung, check out, check out. Yeah. And especially I think with certain art right now, mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, what looks good over the couch is is important, right? Yeah, that's sad to think about sometimes. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, this has been great to talk about your work in depth like this. You know, I had—I don't know if you remember this—I had this pretty great conversation with you after one of your shows a few years ago. So it was nice to catch up in this yeah, yeah, context yeah, for as sure. well. And uh, you know, uh, I've always loved your work, and you know, the, the layers and the and the sort of imagery and the power that comes through it and the edge. You know, I love the edge in the work. Um, yeah, it's great stuff. Well, if other, yeah, if, yeah. If, if other artists are, uh, that's another determining factor. If, yeah. if other artists are interested in what you're doing, then to probably the most important degree, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks for participating in this project. Thank and you. being so forthright. It was really great. Yeah, this is great. Thanks. Thanks. Adam. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that you can learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. Be sure to share this project within your community and rate and subscribe in the Apple Podcast directory or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.